Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Eric and Conrad covered the biggest show in WCW history, and then they got into an explosive argument. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hello, 83 Weeks fans, and welcome to After 83 Weeks. This is the show where we cover the big reveals, the fan reactions, and a little bit later, we will be joined by Eric Bischoff himself answering your questions. Thanks for tuning in today. My name is Christy Olson. Let me introduce you to these gentlemen right here, starting with a veteran of the business and host of AfterBuzz TV's SmackDown After Show. Say hello to Christian Rosenberg. Well, hello there. It is Star K97 time. I'm excited. Yay! Woohoo! And I bet this guy is too. He is an independent wrestler, and I call him the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment Knowledge. It's George Hermosa. This was a fun show. This is going to be exciting, guys. I'm really excited today. Yay! <laughs> really excited. Can you tell by his voice? I'm really excited. That's the we, smile of someone who's going to get on Eric Bischoff's nerves later. I hope so. <laughs> Probably. We got the good energy flowing also with this guy right here. He runs the YouTube channels for a lot of your favorite wrestling legends. It's Steve Kaufman. Hello. I traveled via YouTube. That is a thing. It's in beta, but I did that. You, you transported yourself? I, you, you rematerialize. But it's only channels you have admin access to. Well, we're glad that you're here because you are our link to one Mr. Eric Bischoff, who, as I mentioned before, will be calling in a little bit later. We've been asking for your fan questions on uh, Twitter and Facebook. You can always hit us up directly. Anyway, get those questions to us. Use hashtag after 83 weeks, and we will ask Eric your burning questions. I'm sure you all had quite a few after listening to this very ruckus episode in which they covered Starcade 1998. We're going to be celebrating Starcade all month long. Of course, last week we did 96. I bet you can guess what's coming next. Wait, did I say 98 already? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but you don't like when we interrupt you. Can I guess? Can I guess? That was so sweet. Can I guess, guys? I want to guess. Go for it. 98? Ah, you got it! Nailed it! And big up, thank you for not interrupting me. Even though, I feel like that's know. not... We all cringed, but like, we were like... <laughs> <laughs> I Anyways, is 98 yeah, yeah. next week? 98 yeah. is next yeah, yeah. week. Okay, that makes more sense. All right, we're rewinding it back to 1997 for the biggest pay-per-view ever in WCW history. That's the most fans, the most dollars. It all came in on this day at the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm going to set the stage for you a little bit, guys, all right? Do it. So uh, Bischoff kind of told us a lot about the lead-up to this. He said he and WCW, Turner Broadcasting, they're all feeling pretty confident in WCW at this point. And he kind of explains that this is a culmination of like a year and a half of storyline. This is where they finally have sort of mastered the four-week story arc and and a long-term story. That was very telling. And I think kind of maybe something that as fans, maybe we didn't catch on to back then. But it's really important that that's where they were going with all of this, isn't it? 
Well, something to keep in mind, too, and, and you know, Star K97 is the biggest, uh, obviously, WCW pay-per-view, but it was the biggest wrestling pay-per-view to that at that point. But also, also something to keep in mind is Halloween Havoc 97 was the previous. So two mm-hmm. months before, that was the highest. Uh, so WCW was super hot at this time. So yeah. just kind of... And, and, and the fact that when we saw those three hours, I'm like... That's a lot. I love these kind of backstories kind of building up toward the pay-per-view because you get a lot of good stuff in, in these kind of episodes. I also think it's worth mentioning a rising tide raising all the ships. The WCW doing this kind of business in October and then in December, it wasn't it wasn't that long. It was 98. It was 98, kind of early into 98, that it's Tyson. It's Tyson and Austin, and uh-huh. it's WrestleMania. It's and then Rising Tide's just re- the wrestling business kept growing. Well, when he, when he when he goes over like, all right, at this point last year yes. you're at this number, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like those type of jumps in just a year span are unheard of, and we've never seen since those type of leaps in in that in in this industry. And especially because like I always thought NWO was like the number one t-shirt seller for like the longest time. Mm. It was Sting. Like yeah. that was like not the biggest reveal, but I'm like that was so surprising to me because I can't even think think of what the Sting t-shirt was. Wasn't me it just either. the Scorpion? Was it? I was that the one just with the Scorpion? Was it? I don't I don't know. Well because there's can't been so many none of you had one. <laughs> I don't uh. even have any, I don't even have an NWO shirt. Really? <gasps> yeah. How dare you like, even on clearance recently? Like, no, not like, no. <laughs> right. That's when Steve gets his merchandise. We'll see. We'll see if we can get you one. But they were all they were all very confident that at this time a lot of good stuff going on. And, of course, they want to keep somebody like Eric Bischoff, who's making this all happen behind the scenes. They want to keep him around. We got some really juicy stuff here. I love that Eric is not afraid to drop numbers. He's not afraid to talk business. And he gave us some real specifics about his contract, saying he was making uh, somewhere around 500 k for his salary, but upwards of about 750 that three quarters of a million dollars you guys by the time that you factor in kind of his stock options and uh, you know we can appreciate that he will he will talk money when uh-huh. some of the other guys don't right uh-huh. I really enjoyed that he talked money here and I, I think when he when he met when he talks about how he could have renegotiated this deal where mm-hmm. he could have gotten an agent he could have written it himself like he could have written a lot into it I think he didn't see he didn't see an end in sight for WCW. So for him, it's like, well, no, I'm gonna make two, three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year for ten years. Mm-hmm. Is what he thought he was going to do, and then that's he. You can't <laughs> corporate overlords had other things to say. <laughs> and something happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple, oh, a dozen things happened <laughs> that really conspired to make his deal like the biggest deal he could have made. And before we jump into the actual pay-per-view, let's talk a little bit about Bret Hart and what's going on with him at this time. Now, uh, Bischoff explained why he didn't use Bret right away in March when he came is because he wanted to build more, that he was really looking to make Bret the top dog on Thunder. Did this shine a light on anything for you guys? Were you curious about this? I think it's something that's been said, especially with the yeah. Bret Hart episode, which mm-hmm. was one of the first few episodes where he was supposed to be one of the main guys for Thunder. Uh, at first, I always thought it was weird how he didn't show up maybe like the next day after the screw job or the week after, but I guess his contract expired at the end of November. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, like I, I thought you know, they should have shrugged it while it was hot. Like, he was the hottest commodity in all of pro wrestling in the entire world, and I would have totally put him out there as much as I could, uh, as soon as I could. Um, I think... I think the the schoolyard and the, the dirt sheet narrative was that he had some type of ninety day non compete after November. That I think that's been struck down. That's been struck down with podcasts like this one. Um, I think I like Eric's choice to. Oh, cool! We have the hottest property ever. 
let's not cool them off, but mm. stick with our stuff. Let's like slowly mix Bret Hart into Gra- make make it a gradual yes and and, and and with all due uh, all defense to Bischoff and WCW is this was November I'm sure they had a lot of things kind of planned out towards Starcade anyways obviously Hogan staying uh, Big Show or the Giant versus Kevin Nash uh, you know I'm sure they had a lot more others kind of set in stone like Brett kind of threw a wrench in everything so it kind of I don't blame them for maybe not but a good wrench that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, like, like I don't blame them for not putting Brett because you don't put him against like El Dandy you know at Starcade oh, you know what I mean only. you know what I mean so it's like the main guys were already kind of taking, taken you know or maybe like Savage but that kind of would have been weird but like I don't know just it, it's weird like you strike it while it's hot but also like they already kind of had everything set in stone where you know you can't just put Brett all of a sudden in, in, in the mix and it's also I mean we kind of figured out where his allegiances were pretty fast but you know he's there but he's you don't know where necessarily he's going to side on this mm-hmm. big war that's going down right we still don't know if it's mm-hmm. WCW or NWO because, per se because the story of NWO that's constantly told is that there are a bunch of WWF guys who came to w- WCW to ruin it so the fact that Brett would join them isn't out of the question yeah it would have been a little it, would make, it makes sense it makes sense it would have been a little difficult for the great hero to have to join such a faction, but it, it's not off the table. Mm-hmm. We mentioned some of the dirt sheet reports. So I want to mm. let everyone know we're going to do something fun later called debunking dirt sheets, where we're kind of lumped together every single rumor that Eric Bischoff put to rest on this episode. So stay tuned In rapid for that. Fire. Yes, and something that uh, there were a lot of rumors about is the no-shows on this show. The uh, the injuries, the I'm out, the heart attacks, the <laughs> a, a plethora of things that kept performers that were supposed to be on this card from actually performing. So let's talk about that a little bit. Conrad and Eric sort of, I guess Conrad takes him to task on Dean Malenko. We'll start with this. So Dean Malenko had a jet chartered for him to make it to this show, and Conrad was like, really, a jet for Dean Malenko? Eric Bischoff took some, uh, he was a little insulted by that. As were, he should were be. Were you insulted by that, Christian Rosenberg? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't insulted by that personally, but I mean, not we, personally. But, but we, I mean, we we talked we talked about it last week on how great Malenko is. I talked about how much of an underrated wrestler mm. I feel he's been in, my, like as far as the most underrated in my lifetime, along with um, William Regal. But you know, and Bischoff reemphasized that point here, and obviously the situation. I get it with. With Raven not going to be there, Nash not going to be there, Conan not going to be there. We, I mean, how many people are not going to be there that are advertised? Dean, we need to find a way to get you there. Here. Here's my keys. Take the jet. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 was, I was perfectly fine with it. And, and I, don't, I don't see... I think, I think the question was worded improperly. Because it wasn't like, why Malenko? It's just a matter of, oh... Well, I need to do what I can to get as many people who are scheduled to be here mm-hmm. here as possible. Well, because when you think of like, oh, I'm going to get a jet, you're going to automatically probably think it's for like Hogan or, or Piper sure. or whoever. But mm-hmm. it's like, no offense to Dean Malenko, but it's like Dean Malenko, like, and even like the backup plan was Rey Mysterio Jr., who wasn't even on the card. I, I be, I'm sure he was healthy. I, I think he just kind of came off a couple matches, but like, I don't know. It was a little like, well, I mean, if you're going to do that for Malenko, like, kudos to you. I mean, yeah. you probably you know do something even better for Hogan. Also, you fired back at the question correctly of like. Yes, would it be worth ten or fifteen thousand dollars to not have a fourth no show on the biggest show of the year? Like, I Good think point. he explained it very well. But the que- but the question, looking back, especially, it's easier to look back where it's like, wait, but it could have just been Rey Mysterio. You and I looking back on this card, like that's a that's a get. 
but you and I in our living rooms trying to convince our parents to buy a thing <laughs> and then them changing five things the day of. I'm just trying to imagine like being on a jet by yourself. That's a lot of solitaire. I, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> the day you're, For the Iceman, that's perfect. The yeah. day your child was born, too. What, what oh, was yeah. it on that exact day? I know they were due. It was due any day. I think it was like a week after. Baby was due any day. Wasn't that exact? Yeah, if that was that exact day, Dean be like, call Ray. <laughs> <laughs> no, you could just hop back on the jet. Yeah. And get there. It's no biggie. It's no biggie. Well, he's he's not the only one who there was a little controversy about getting him there, and someone who didn't make it at all is one Kevin Nash. And this is something that they did touch on a few weeks ago as well. I can't remember which uh, which show they were talking about it, but Kevin Nash was concerned that he was having heart issues. He was at the hospital. He has a family history of, of heart issues, and he uh, has confirmed since then that what he had was an irregular heartbeat. But there was uh, some, some uh, reports, maybe, just maybe, back in the day, that he just didn't want to put the giant over and that uh, he just had some indigestion. I know at the time I thought it was Kevin Nash not wanting to put the giant over. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I, th- I thought that was total. That was a total truth, and that that wasn't that wasn't that, me. That doesn't surprise that, me that you that, think that at all. That wasn't me reading Meltzer because I, I was never a big Meltzer reader at all. I just thought like, oh, typical Nash not wanting the job to the giant. Typical. <laughs> Whoa. Wait. Typical... Why? Because you hang out with him on a regular. Oh, this, this, this is typical Kev. I had this is a, what he does. I had his action figure. <laughs> <laughs> I bought your action figure. That gives me the right mm-hmm. to say that you don't do professional courtesy. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> that is. Pretty much how it goes down. Ooh, did you guys learn anything from this? Was this like earth shattering? Well, this, this was similar to what we heard a few weeks ago with the uh, when they did the show on the giant. That's, that was the one. Because yeah. this is when they were breaking down. Obviously, it was a little more into it than was on the giant show, but it wasn't anything earth shattering compared to that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of personalities in these stories that we hear of the late '90s WCW that have. Legends that kind of precede them, like ATM Eric or Fire Eric, who fires people, or Kevin Nash, who doesn't want to do a job for anyone, or that won't work for me, Hulk Hogan. That I'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle, and that's what we're learning. Although sometimes it's a lot more fun to believe that Kevin Nash just doesn't care, like doesn't want to put anyone over. Well, at the time, I mean, I thought that at that time, but the fact that they had the match a month later was like, well, I guess I was wrong. It, it was just that tough workout. That's Brandy, all it was, guys. Him on his neck. We, we are rolling now on Starcade 1997. Let's talk about this DDP-Kurt Hennig match because Eric Bischoff said this was the best match of the show. However, at the time it was reported the crowd wasn't into it, so it must not have been good. He actually challenges us. This is a challenge from Eric Bischoff himself, people, to go back and watch this match and see. tell him what you think on social media. Were the fans into it? Were they not? Did you guys do that? What'd I accepted this challenge. All right. I did, and the fans were into it. They, I thought, yeah. I felt they were. And Kurt Henning, I mean, we all know one of the most intelligent wrestlers that's ever wrestled. Uh, so he made any story worthwhile and captivating. Honestly, like to me, the physical match itself wasn't that great to me. But mm-hmm. I can see why. Like as far as the story that Henning told with DDP trying to get Diamond Cutter DDP trying to get his first major singles title because apparently the TV title is not considered major at this point <laughs> and and the crowd was was really hyped up because they knew Sting was coming up they knew Bischoff was going to get his ass kicked soon but they're just like you know this you know will NWO reign supreme or are we going to see a Diamond Cutter mm-hmm. which we love and we want to go nuts for and that's what they got mm-hmm. yeah I also took this challenge and I agree it was it was a good match 
Well, there wasn't a ton of, I'm curious if you guys agree with me on this, there wasn't a ton of really juicy scoop on the actual match-by-match on this pay-per-view. They didn't. He didn't spend a lot of time breaking down what was going on behind the scenes or, or how any of this really came to be. So uh, if you guys don't mind, I think maybe it's time for the main event. Yes. What? Of Starcade 1997, one Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus Sting for the WCW Championship. I feel like you kind of said a little wrong, though. Instead of Sting, based on how he walked out, it's Sting. <laughs> well, interesting you say that, because apparently that was his attitude backstage. So much setting of the tone here. We got so much behind the scenes. Eric really tells a story of a guy who, Steve, who showed up that day, pale, out of shape, and not really excited about what was going down. I, I barely even know where to start with this, so let's start at the <laughs> There's we, a lot to know, take in here. We know it ends in a screaming match. So what did you guys think about Bischoff's comments on Sting's sort of state that day? Um, I watched this match today as well, mm-hmm. and I didn't see what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Even with the tanning, like you can see that, and he's standing next to Hulk Hogan. Right. And it's only his arms, and he doesn't look pale by any comparison to he's up in the rafters like his character could have been pale but well, he, I, look, he looks white next to orange not necessarily pale next to tan yeah and I also but I would trust Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan in 1997 to be the true arbiters of whether Sting looks good or not so you can't <laughs> so like whether Sting looks in it whether Sting looks ready like I would trust them more than I would trust myself watching the WWE Network. Well, because Bischoff himself looked fantastic. Is he going to be upset that we didn't talk about his match? Maybe we should remind a little Ted. <laughs> well, no, we're uh, saving it for the Q. He, he, okay. lo- he lost. <laughs> yeah, he, he did look great. He did look great. <laughs> um, well, I, I kind of disagree to an extent, Stu, okay. what you're saying because to me now, also like I when rewatch this match after after listen to this um, verbal Iron Man match that we had <laughs> on this podcast and. And when, all of a sudden, like, realizing it when he walked out. And I'm also going back to, I think it was the WCW-NWO revenge video game. Not the first one that they yes. were talking about. But they were where, like, you know, they come out and they have their little pose. Sting walks out very slowly. Jacket's partially draped down. And then his hands are just kind of like this. Hmm. Like, hey, I'm here. I, I, I'm paler than how Sting was, I well, know. Yeah. But, um, but, it it's, possible, it, but, but it's just one of those just like meh poses and then I remember wait the video game that's the pose they gave him in the video game (laughs) so it kind of I found that kind of interesting and then I mean obviously you know Sting still in great shape but he he wasn't in the Sting shape that we know Mm -hmm. of I mean the the arms weren't jag like we've seen for so many years I mean obviously he's he's covered because he's wearing uh, the, the, the singlet and the pants but he he did not look like how he normally looked when he wrestled, you would you would think after all that time away, he would if anything look bigger. Mm. But he wasn't. He was a lot smaller. I I agree with you on the attitude, but not, and I do agree he looked he's looked bigger in his career other than this night. But I, I I don't know just from what I saw on TV his and I do agree his attitude was different. But by that point he knew what the finish was. He's probably just a method actor. I mean he's probably in the moment you know. <laughs> year and a half without saying a word? Well, according to Bischoff, he was going through a lot at this time. Um, For people who maybe don't, because we could Google this, and it's like he's never been an addict, he's never been to rehab, he's never killed anybody, I don't know. (laughs) Other other issues. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) Other issues that wrestlers have had, I'm just saying. So for people who are listening to this and are going, "What, what were these issues, which Bischoff refused to get into, what were the reports back in the day? 
I didn't even know. There I was were. fourteen. I, I didn't I, know I, there, I, there were, were reports. reports. I, I I didn't think anything of it to be honest with you back in the day. Um, I thought this was a little wonky back in the day, but I didn't. I wasn't up on the dirt sheets about this subject. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think the appearance, uh, at least back in the day, was like irrelevant as opposed to the finish of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but kind of going going from the beginning as well about the whole stain coming out from the entrance. Uh, I know that bothered Conrad, but it didn't really bother. Um, that didn't bother me either because one, he has a match scheduled, so of course yeah. you're down. But if you win, once you win the belt, what you're going to go back up the rafters? <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, like, I was fine with him yeah, coming down the aisle. I was fine with coming back the, coming down the aisle. I me too. I thought that was completely reasonable, and I also think good good storytelling versus bad storytelling to me always boils down to thoughtfulness. And the idea of, oh, it's just like it's a video game. He comes down from the rafters because that's what Sting does. That doesn't make any sense. But also also the mind games because we look just before they do like the little weird graphic thing for Sting before he came down. There's Hogan in the ring looking up saying, come on down. Yeah. Let's go. And it's the mind games. All of a sudden he's saying, come on down. Where are you? And there he's just on the ramp mm-hmm. walking out. And before all that, apparently there was some conversation with the referee, hmm. Nick Patrick. He was maybe told one thing by someone. He was maybe told one thing by someone else. Did you guys buy Bischoff's account of of poor, poor Nick Patrick? <laughs> Nin- 1997 and referees. Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, not their year. So no. heading into this at the time, before hearing anything from Eric Bischoff and then hearing the narrative around all these personalities. It made it made a lot of sense before this podcast to me that they were trying to get Earl Hebner. They wanted to do a screw job finish. They wanted to have Bret Hart reverse a screw job finish and it was going to be a fast count. And that Hogan yeah, okay. Hogan, Hogan <laughs> politicked his way into that to make it look like it looks now. Looking back, I honestly think Nick Patrick's counts are really slow. And so him, Nick Patrick doing a fast count isn't that fast, coupled with the fact they kept changing the finish all day. That I, honestly checks out for how me. Do, how, first off, how would they ever get Earl Hebner? He, he, was, he, he was still in the, the contract. Yes. And, and especially with after everything that happened the screw job, you think that... Bret Hart's going to work with no, him? No, you think Vince wasn't, wasn't going to keep him? Well, that too. Well, that's a lot of loyalty. What, you're going to let him go? I just, I think, I don't know if you were going to say it in your debunking dirt sheets, but like, sure. I, I think there's no way Earl Hebner would have ever came. Uh, maybe the uh, the thought would have came up, but I don't think it ever went past the thought. No, and, and I... I, I'm going to play a little conspiracy theorist right now, which oh, is not, which is like Steve's role, but I, I'm, I'm taking that, I'm taking that seat for once. I felt rewatching this match, I felt like the NWO turned babyface, because <laughs> like, okay. like all of a sudden rewatching the match, hearing everything that was said, rewatching the match. Okay, so we have, we have a match with Hogan and Sting. Hogan and Sting, they both, they both use some underhanded tactics at times. Fine. Hogan hits a big boot and a leg drop. There's no outside interference. Ref makes a regular call. Mm-hmm. Bret Hart stops the bell from ringing. He was only really set to be the ref for one match. Mm-hmm. They didn't say until he hopped in the ring, oh, he's licensed for the entire night. <laughs> and and, all, and then all of a sudden, he thr- he puts his hands on the opponent, which that is a no contest then, throws Hogan back in the ring, calls for the bell. Sting then takes advantage of a wounded man who was just out tacked. <laughs> Someone who's not a licensed official calls for the bell, and then the entire WCW locker room comes in to kick Hogan out of the ring, and Sting holds the title upside down. How dare you? Yeah, but but, but, when, Bar- but when Baron Corbin does it, he's a scumbag, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When you put it 
like that, it really does seem ridiculous. The NWO... There was a double swerve at Star Star K ninety seven WCW turned heel and NWO were the good guys. Scott Hall and all his surveys was right. <laughs> but I totally I totally think I totally think Hogan politicked his the finish that way it did because he because here's the thing and I was gonna ask I probably ask him this uh, later on where it's like Hogan he had that he had every right to do so because it's in his contract he's essentially is kind of the boss in some ways. I. Well, Bischoff chalks this up to just simple, poor communication. He says, um, well, that that prompts Conrad to reply with, (laughs) you are lying through your teeth. And Conrad is convinced because of what Eric Bischoff has said that uh, the finish was changed because Sting was not tan enough. Which is the tangent that he stays on for the rest of the show. He's not tan. Spe- speaking on behalf of people who cannot tan, <laughs> well, so it's okay. Sounds like from what you guys are saying that you do think that Bischoff was, as Conrad said, lying. I, I, I kind, I don't want to be that guy that's kind of in middle ground, but I think Hogan went into the business on his own. I think he told Nick Patrick to do the regular count without consulting with Bischoff. What if Nick Patrick honestly forgot? <laughs> um, I mean, because that has happened. I'm, I'm not you, saying you think maybe I'm, Sting was supposed to kick out. He thought he well, thought Singh was going to kick out or something. Um, it's yeah. Nick Patrick has said in multiple interviews that Hogan told him one thing, Sting told him another thing, and that he couldn't find Eric Bischoff all day. Eric Bischoff is saying that well, I don't get involved in finishes, so he should have been looking for a road agent, not yeah. me. I, I think Bischoff didn't know. I don't think I, it, I don't think it's him. I don't think Bischoff I, told Hogan or Hogan told Bischoff that this is going to happen with Nick Patrick. I think Hogan was like. Uh, do a regular count, brother. Like knowing that, well, the the choppy finish is going to mess everything up. Maybe the belt's going to go back on on Hogan because, well, you know, as, as Conrad said, Hogan said, you know, the business is at work, but when you're the champion and the checks are bigger, it's a shoot. Yeah, I, that's fair. And I think Nick Patrick had also said that who ran the place by '97 was always in flux. Like if you look at if you look at WCW up until Eric Bischoff, whoever ran WCW was very much. I want to say a revolving door, but it was more people than you would think for a company that size. So he said, I went with who I thought ran the place, and it was Hulk Hogan. Who he, <laughs> I, and, that, and, that's what I'm saying. In the way of the, the top guy, the guy you know will be here tomorrow. The guy you know Turner won't fire, essentially. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's lying. It, it just you have the biggest pay per view in the history. I mean, at that time, the, you know the numbers weren't in, but based on you know how it was with Halloween Havoc, whatever, we all knew there was going to be a big deal. So for that finish to be that, like, I don't blame a lot of people for being disgruntled and saying, "Well, let's check out the other show." Oh, cool, Mike Tyson's here. And I'm not going to change the channel. You know? <laughs> Is it possible that maybe no one just thought that it was that big of a deal as long as Sting walks out with the title and all that? Like maybe. No one was too concerned with making sure that the fast count happened or that everyone knew what was going on because Bischoff says he wasn't even that upset when the fast count didn't happen. In typical WCW fashion, you might be right, but the fact that that match happened again the very next night, <laughs> like, as yeah. a, if I had bought that pay-per-view, I'd be, I'd be upset. Yeah, I'd well, want, want my money back if you're giving that match away for free the next day. And my question for him is whether that was always the plan to give it away for free the next day. But my my guess would be that it wasn't. But they needed clips to run. Mm-hmm. They needed clips to run after Monday because they couldn't run the normal not fast count from Nick Patrick from ninety from Starcade ninety seven. Mm-hmm. That I don't think the plan was to give this away on free TV. 
Conrad might have asked it in the midst of all his screams. <laughs> it was and just so loud. <laughs> at one point he said, you ruin our biggest pay-per-view ever. I, I love that he says R. R. He's, he's so emotionally, yes. personally invested in this, and that is why we love him. How old is Conrad? Isn't he our age? He's a, a, few, he's yeah. a few years older than okay. us. He's very successful, so let's give yeah, him those true. few years. Uh, but do you guys agree that th- all of this ruined the big, our biggest pay-per-view Absolute, ever? Absolutely. Absolutely. This should have been that, not a nail in the coffin, but this should have been, because I really do think this was the first step in the downfall of WCW and really, Agreed. and really, you know, shook and, and really people saying, well, let's check out the other channel. Let's see if they're going to screw me with my money now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, especially if we're just getting over one screw job from the other company <laughs> and then all of a sudden, here's, here's one that not only are they, Attempting to do, but it was attempted poorly, mm-hmm. and and for that, yeah, that would that would upset a lot of fans. And it's like, why is this big match that we've been waiting sixteen months for? Why is it turned into like a two out of three falls match? Yeah, also, but there wasn't a third fall. Also, the use of Bret Hart as someone who was hurt at Survivor Series of that same year mm-hmm. may have may have backfired a little too, because now you're using Bret Hart on your TV. To let people know that there's another there's another option for wrestling, instead of just using Bret Hart. But you used him also as a, in a non wrestling capacity. That too. So you're not even making money with him on the poster, mm-hmm. and you're using him to mention that Survivor Series happened. I mean, looking back on it, we're able to say this at the time. At the time, I also agree you didn't want to put him on the marquee right away. Sure, but but I, but you could have had him in a match. Yes, I'm not saying you had to make him in the main event against who? Old Andy? Yeah, <laughs> Vincent. If only. Well, Vincent was in a match. But he, he, Vincent would have worked double duty. Yes. <laughs> Ray Mysterio. Uh, all right. Well, well, since we are breaking down this episode, I have to ask you guys, mm. how did you feel about this huge argument at the end, this big blowout? I loved it. Anybody, <laughs> of anybody? course you. Well, because that's the best time. Raise your hand if you're not surprised. <laughs> did, you not, did you not love it? I, I don't like when mom and dad fight. No, but I mean, because that, that, that's, that's, I think, <laughs> he, he rep- Conrad represents all of us that are so passionate that says, I call, like, every time I call BS on this show, this, you know, I'm, Conrad pretty much says it in front of him, <laughs> to him. And, and, and yeah, I love it. I mean, I love it when he did it against Pritchard and whatever, mm. and just, yeah, this one, we needed this. We needed this for this specific episode, because it was a long time coming. Also, I think the, the mom, I don't like it when mom and dad fight comparison. <laughs> It, yes, I if, mean that was half joke. But. but if mom and dad divorce, yeah, you're right. That's a terrible thing to be through. If mom and dad just fight sometimes, <laughs> it's kind of enjoyable. Then it's I, fun. Well, then, it, then you can leverage leverage it for presents. Because if True. you know mom and dad are going to stay together, and that's kind of how this felt to me. It just felt like two Aww. friends. This kind of felt like two friends just getting heated about a thing, but both stay both. Both keeping the stakes of like, no, no, we're still friends. I'm just upset at you for lying about this TV show. I, I, I don't think it had to get to the point where I had to like lower the volume on my car. <laughs> I didn't need to get to that point. But I mean, it, it, it no, it's it's entertaining because when you're hearing back and forth and and like with legitimate reasons on both yeah. sides. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, yeah, it's entertaining. I, I mean, it went on for a while. Yes, well, I was surprised that Bischoff didn't react a little harder or didn't come back to Conrad a, as loud as he did. Or I mean, he he never really got shook. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think also I think um, this is kind of I don't want to say this is what Bischoff wants for the show so much as I don't I think he. I think he understands that if Conrad's that emotional, 
mm-hmm. than a lot of his audiences too. So that instead of squashing it, which maybe he could, or hang up on Conrad, which is something Bruce Pritchard has done before, he lets it happen. Where it's like, no, no, he represents the audience in a way that if he's this heated, the majority of my audience is going to be this heated, and they're going to need to hear my measured response. Yeah, what what is that that he says about controversy again? Something about euros. It creates something. Cold hard cash, baby. <laughs> ah. Cold hard cash. And on that note, let's debunk some dirt sheet rumors. Let's do it. Woo. All right, because Eric Bischoff does so much of this, putting these rumors <laughs> to rest from back in the day. We wanted to lump them all together. So this is kind of rapid fire, guys, if you have anything to say about this. Refuting the Val Venus report. That checks out to me. I, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think people people who covered the business at that time would cover it that on the other side, Vince McMahon would have absolutely watched a tryout match. Right. Whereas on this side, nope, Eric runs the whole company. Kevin Nash wanting the NWO show Thursdays is bigger BS than Mabel being the third man. <laughs> this is the one that prompted Eric to call Dave Meltzer a paranoid twisted worm. <laughs> um, Let's be real. Kevin Nash probably said that to someone or someone or to... There was a call a friend, call a call a wrestler. Right. I'm sure at some point Kevin Nash said something to someone. They got warped into a way where Dave Meltzer reported it. Dave Meltzer doesn't report nothing. And when you call someone a twisted worm, (laughs) you know they mean business. That wasn't even the worst of it. Uh, They dropped this little tidbit about Jacqueline and Miss Elizabeth. I found this one interesting. Mm. Okay. Because uh, I, I am, I am kind of curious on it because you know Jacqueline, why not? She's a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I've never heard this story. So I was kind of interested mm-hmm. in like, oh, this seems odd. Um, I mean, I don't know Jacqueline, but it's like, oh, she's not going to do this, and then you guys are going to kick her out, or you're not going to kick her, or what? And then she shows them WWE, and it, it was interesting. I mean, juicy yeah. women's wrestling on American TV in 1997. Not much. There were only like <laughs> five, there were only five <laughs> spots across two companies. That's yeah. true. So she was competing for one of them. That's yeah. true. There were. There were men football players getting involved at one point. How about the dirt sheet saying that WCW was out of control just because they didn't return back from a break to live TV after those uh, football players jumped the rails? I, I do love that he said, like, Jim Kelly was the hottest football player at the time. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he retired by 97? Likely. Yeah. Or, or close to it? Because his Super Bowl heyday years was, like, 89 and 92, 93. Mm. So I found that I just found that kind of. He's still a football okay. player. I, I think, mean, he's a Hall of Football Hall of Famer. I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that no one who watches wrestling also watches football. So <laughs> it's, it's impossible to have people do the same thing. How about Hogan tried to get Yokozuna into WCW? Bischoff said, "Nay." I believe that that one. Her. I do too. Yeah, I, I do believe too. it. Especially with all the rumors about Hogan getting Warrior in to get his win back. Why wouldn't he want to get Yokozuna to get get his win back? And he's a draw. I believe it may not have gone as far as Eric ever hearing about it to remember it now. But I think that that happened. Randy Savage and that six man and the finish and that whole thing got a little discombobulated. But Eric Bischoff put it to rest finally. And then the DDP-Kurt Henning match that the crowd wasn't into it. This is where he called. I I said I wasn't going to swear on this show. (gasps) But he says it. He calls Meltzer. That says these are the words of an effing moron. Oh, you didn't swear. <laughs> I didn't. I Good. didn't. I couldn't yeah, do it. Thank you. My mom listens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. And and of course the one we mentioned already. She's always wanted to meet you, George. Actually. Oh. Yeah. She loves me. She does. <laughs> we everybody loves Hi, you. Hi, Chrissy's mom. Aw, so sweet. She's gonna love that. And then this last one that we kind of covered a little bit that Earl Hebner would be brought in to ref the main event, and he did say there was not a chance. I call BS. Yeah, that one's I call that, BS. that one's I just don't know I just don't see how that would have happened. Like he's, with, he's in WWF. But there's two questions. Were they trying? Was that pitched? Was that an opportunity? Like, I I don't, I don't understand how it could be pitched. 
pitched like you would have to room. know. You would have writers, to know I, his contract. I think you're in a writers' room. I, do, I think this is what happened. We're, we're all writers. Cool. Wouldn't sure. It be, wouldn't it be awesome to get Earl Hebner to do the finish? Oh, that's great. Uh, but it's not going to happen. Next. Exactly. Like, yeah. But but the idea of a writers' room and creative room is that early on you should feel like sky is the limit. So someone saying, well, maybe maybe Earl Hebner could come in and represent everything that happened with Bret Hart, and that leads you to the point of. Well, we have Bret Hart. We're never going to get Earl Hebner. Can I throw you a curveball? <laughs> Please. What about Dave Hebner? He was an executive. He, was a, he worked backstage. I, I mean, I figured he was still they there, both, too. But, they were both pretty But he up. wasn't on TV. I mean, I think it would have said something. I think it would have said something major for the WWF if they if Earl could have done that for them in November, and then WCW could get him, get him in December. But what we know about the WWF is that it would have never happened. Yeah. They wouldn't have had someone in that position that could go just as easily. That's right. Well, on that note, let's get somebody on the line who can continue to weigh in on all of this. We may or may not yell at him, too. Stay tuned to find out. We will be right back with Eric Bischoff. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Joining us now via Skype, a man who has produced 79 pay-per-views, generating over $300 million in revenue. Say hello to the host of 83 Weeks, Eric Bischoff. Hello, everybody. Yes. We, we got to do that for you. Yes. Oh, it just makes me feel good. What a way to end an evening. This is awesome. <laughs> and and now we'll proceed to uh, grill you and uh, maybe help the fans tear you apart a little bit. This was a rough <laughs> one, right? This was a hot one. You know, we, Conrad, when we first started, you know, we had a lot of issues between us. And there was a lot of that, you know, explosive, kind of bombastic back and forth. And then it kind of, we settled into a little different groove and it got, Somewhat civilized so, until this episode. <laughs> so, so then, just, just to confirm, then the new facial hair is not because you're in the witness protection program for murdering Conrad. <laughs> no, or maybe I'm trying to hide from Conrad. Well, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Have you spoken with Conrad since you recorded the episode? Is everything okay? I'm talking to him. <laughs> He's until until Thursday when we when we record Starcade '98. <laughs> when there's money to be made, right? Yeah, no, Conrad was over in the UK with uh, Bruce for like mm. seven or ten shows. So, you know, uh, something to wrestle with with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson has taken over the world. So he was out of the country and I was busy traveling. So, no, we haven't spoken really since we did that show. Mm. Okay, well, you'll have to update us on that next week. In the meantime, we have a few fan questions for you. At Charles1981 said, I understand the look that a wrestler is expected to maintain, but Sting in 1997 was portraying the crow. Why would a dark gothic character need to be bronzed? Uh, you know, it worked for The Undertaker. He did say, though, that this was a great listen, as always. But why did uh, why did Stig need to be bronzed and in shape? Well, if, if you go back and listen closely to the show, and I, I need to be careful how I do this, out of respect for Steve Borden, a.k.a. Stig, um, the issues, the personal issues that Steve was having during 1997 was the real reason. The fact that he showed up untanned um, and and out of shape you know that was the obvious thing that we saw first you know that's almost like the smallest detail mm -hmm. of it all 
But there was a there was a much more important and significant underlying issue. But un- unfortunately, that didn't get the same kind of um, response and reaction. Um, and I talked about that. It wasn't just that he wasn't tan. It was a it was a number of other very serious issues and serious things that all of it led us to believe that Steve just wasn't ready for that particular moment. Now let's talk about that particular moment. If the original plan was the dark brooding sting was going to come back and finally gain his revenge, he should have been on fire. At the end of that match, he may or may not have still been the crow. He certainly wouldn't have been the dark brooding crow going as he was going into that match or for the 16 months or so leading up to that. He would have been a more celebratory crow type character right. not the dark mysterious guy because he would have nothing to be miserable about he would have he would have gotten his revenge for for all of wcw and he could have would have righted the world that characterization of of sting at that time would have required that he would have been more of a a, a visual hero than that dark brooding character that was going into that match if that makes sense it does, it does. I'm glad you had a chance to explain that. And at Red Mage Master said, you know, you mentioned spending time with Sting in 1997. You guys were hanging out riding your bikes together. Did you ever discuss his issues with him to make sure that he was good to go for Starcade? Um, and I'm sorry, who, who, who posted that? What was the name of that person? This is from your fan at Red Mage Master. Okay, at Red Mage Master. Here's the deal. If you go, again, go back and listen closely. And I may not have specified... Um, but I wasn't spending a lot of time with Sting in 97. We were spending a lot of time together in 95. We rode Harleys together quite often in 90, 1995 that summer. Certainly went out to Sturgis and spent a lot of time together. Um, in 96, uh, I think Sting, Steve and his ex-wife came out and visited my wife and I in Wyoming and was looking at property just down the road from where we live now. So that was 95, 96. 97, Sting kind of went dark. Uh, in more ways than one, not only as a character. Because again, his personal life was uh, an issue and he kind of isolated himself from a lot of people, not just me. Uh, so we didn't really talk and it wasn't obvious what was going on. He he hit it very, very well. We sort of agreed as a panel that you referenced these personal issues quite a few times in the episode, but that we as fans didn't hear about it at the time. We, we really don't know even now to this day and that's pretty unusual that we don't know what these personal issues were. Do you think we ever will? Um, I, I don't know. I think that's up to Steve Borden. And certainly in my case, it's up to Steve Borden. It's not my, it's, it, I, I would feel totally uncomfortable discussing it. Um, I don't mind discussing personal issues between people that has already been exposed in the media or th- that they themselves have, have talked about in the media. At that point, it's kind of fair game. But, you know, if someone had has a part of their life that's very personal to them and that's got nothing really to do directly with the rest of the business, it's not my business or anybody else's, in my opinion, to try to get to the bottom of it. Out of respect for Sting, uh, certainly in my case, I'm not going to be the one to do that. And I think it's a testimony to Steve Borden and Sting as a professional and how his peers view him that, as you pointed out, most of the time this shit leaks. Uh, in this case, it didn't. And, and I think the reason it hasn't and probably won't is because of the respect that, that people have for Steve Borden and should have. He's, he's an amazing man. Absolutely. I want to have a question regarding the Starcade 97 pay-per-view. What was your reaction when you got the numbers in and you saw this pay-per-view made history, biggest, highest rated uh, uh, pay-per-view buy rate in wrestling history? What was your reaction when, when you saw that? You know, I mean, I, I was happy, obviously, but... 
I never looked at any singular victory. You know, like, oh wow, this is the highest you know grossing pay per view of all time. I knew that it would be for a moment, and then two months from now it wouldn't be, or three months later it wouldn't be. Either we do one that would do just as well because that's the role we were on. Uh, that was the pattern. Or the WWE would come back and have one that, that would be just as big or bigger. So I never took those types of pay-per-view revenue numbers. I mean, I was happy about it, but I, it didn't, it wasn't like, I didn't throw a party, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't toast anybody. It was just like, wow, that's great. Let's move on to the next challenge. You know, how do we do that again next month? You know, it, it was a very fast-paced life and and, and business, and you really didn't have time to spend much time thinking about one particular week or one pay-per-view. Well, you clearly had time to work out because you look great in this mm -hmm. match against Larry Zabisco. What was sort of your regimen back then? Obviously, you're hanging out with, you're working with athletes, and this is a high-profile match. Did you put a lot into your physical training for that? I really didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just he's just naturally that wow. that jacked. Wow. Oh no no no! I mean, I, you know, back we're talking twenty years ago. I was, you know, I wouldn't say I was a regular in the gym, but I, yeah, during certain times of year, you know, for about six or eight months out of a twelve month uh, year calendar year, I would be in the gym on a pretty regular basis. But I wasn't really training for anything. It was just a part of my lifestyle at the time. And I was 20 years younger, <laughs> so that matters. Um, but I wasn't really training specifically for this. You know, I've always been in reasonably good shape until the last probably 15 years or so when it just kind of got away from me. But um, up until, you know, when I was in my 40s and even in my early 50s, for the most part, I was in pretty good shape. I love to run. You know, while I was in TNA, I was training for a marathon um, and, and was doing a really well because I love running. But I, uh, I really tore my knee up, had to have surgery, and I kind of put an end to my running career. But, you know, I've always been physically fairly active. All right. Well, props to that. Gentlemen, go ahead. Um, Eric, I want to go back to some earlier on in the podcast you brought up because it made me actually think about NXT. Um, when, you, when you were talking about how you don't want to oversaturate certain wrestlers and have them on repeatedly um, week after week after week. And to me, I feel that kind of sums up NXT because you rarely see the same person on consecutive shows. Now, with with Raw being you know three hours, SmackDown being two hours, and everything moving to Fox, all these talks about NXT moving to two hours as well. From your opinion, with with what you were talking about on Star Starcade, do you think it's a good idea for NXT to try to expand or keep it at the one hour? I think, you know, I, I think a lot of that depends on how much of a talent base they have. You know, keep in mind the, I mean, NXT serves two purposes. It, it's it's a real life, real time, as close as you can get to primetime training opportunity. And, and the next step, it's kind of like, you know, AAA baseball, AA baseball. You know, it's, it's, it's that next step right before you get to primetime. So it has two purposes, obviously. You, you want it to be successful as a television property as, as it can be, but the, I think the real purpose of that show is really more to groom people to get them ready for the next step than anything else. And I think if they've got a deep enough roster and there's enough people there that need that exposure and two hours can accommodate that, bam, do it. Why would you even wait? But if the roster's thin and you find yourself really tapping into that same 
you know, roster of talent on a weekly basis, and you you may run the, the risk of overexposing at least some of them. With, with the buzz, with how hot WCW was in Starcade '97 time, was there ever consideration for a bigger venue? No, you know that's that that's the hard that was the hard thing at that time, because keep in mind in 1997 um, we really first only started getting profitable in 1996, right? And when you book a building, you've got to book it generally six months to 12 months in advance. Mm -hmm. So Starcade 97 was most likely booked a year before, eight, 10 months before we actually put on the event. And that was still early enough in our trajectory where nobody was really too overconfident. And I was always on the conservative side when it came to venue size. I never got hung up on you know whether we were in a dome or whether we were you know outside or you know how how big was the venue what mattered to me most as a television producer was how how did it look on camera i would much rather have 15,000 people that looked great in a medium sized arena than have 35,000 people in an arena that was really built for 60 mm -hmm. And so I never got caught up in the how big the arena thing. You know, the gate revenues, gate, gate was always good. Merchandising was always good. But it's almost an ancillary revenue stream when, when the primary revenue stream was pay-per-view. And pay-per-views are judged by how well they look, the energy that it creates. And if you've got your audience kind of spread out through an arena and it's kind of dark and the energy is just not there, um, that actually does more harm than the additional revenue that it may create. Well, one of the things you mentioned that you did to keep the fans engaged was to have kind of some surprise elements or things that you didn't even tell the performers or the staff were going to happen, that you love to do that. Was there ever a time when you pulled a surprise stunt like the football players um, jumping over the barricade? Anything you did like that that really went awry or that got anyone really angry? You know, there there were angles, um, there were finishes, there were run-ins, there were storylines that I kept really, really confidential and didn't tell, you know, the roster or, the, you know, the locker room, and I made sure that the people that were involved with them really kept their mouth shut. Um, and, and I found that, you know, it's, it was effective as hell for the audience because... <laughs> Everybody loves surprises, and you know that was kind of a rap I had, a, a negative one, that I like to kayfabe everybody. And you know the reason I like there was two reasons. Well, you know, one is the obvious reason. You know, you don't want to spend time thinking, you know, planning out a great story story arc, you know, working on you know surprises and finishes and all kinds of things and how it's going to go on to the next chapter. You don't want to invest all of that time and read about it in a freaking dirt sheet. You know what I mean? Because oftentimes it, it's just like, you know, when people find out, you know, the ending of a movie before the movie is released, you know, people make a judgment about whether or not they're going to go. They start hating on something they haven't even seen yet just because of what somebody wrote about it. And the same is true in wrestling, or was back then. So that was one reason. That was the obvious reason. A second, less obvious reason, but consistent, if, you know, and anybody that's ever worked for me or with me will tell you this. Um, I always love people's natural reactions. We're none of us in the wrestling business are actors, except for The Rock, John Cena, <laughs> and Full of Others. Um, but for the most part, you know, wrestlers are performers and they're talented and they do they have an amazing, you know, repertoire of skill sets and all that. 
but acting isn't necessarily one of them for the majority of the people on a roster. So asking someone to react to something is tapping into a skill set that isn't one of their strongest. Whereas if you keep things, not all the time, but once in a while, if you keep things kind of confined and secret and you're hoping to get a reaction from the people around whatever is going on, nine times out of ten you'll get a much better reaction if you don't tell anybody what you're going to do. You'll get a real reaction. Yes. As opposed to a, oh, I'm supposed to get angry now. <laughs> that was, you know, a bad example of horrible acting. but um, Or maybe it was a good example of horrible acting. But you know what I mean. So yeah, I, I used to love doing that. And I still believe as a producer, uh, and this was true when I was producing reality shows as well, you know, you got to give people enough information to get them through a scene, but you don't have to give them all the information that can sometimes drive emotion and reaction. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So to bring it back to the main event of Starcade 97, I've heard, I've heard pray tell specifically about, Ke specifically Kevin Nash has said in tapes long ago that Nick Patrick's count was slow as a normal referee. So is it possible that he picks him picking somewhere in the middle became a regular count? Or have you heard anything about Nick Patrick's count heading into this match? Or is that more of a road agent thing? No, it would have been more of a road agent thing. It would have been between the players. Um, I've, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, and people may or may not believe it or understand it, but I, you know, I'm, I was never a Finnish guy. I was never a wrestler. I, I, I intentionally stayed away from the creative side of the business until I felt like I had no choice in late in 95 when I was charged with launching a primetime show on the number one network in Turner Broadcasting. At that point, I felt like, okay, I can't just ask somebody else to execute my vision for a new show. Yeah. That's when I really started getting involved. Um, more so in 96 with the NWO because I started over the, that six-month period of time or 12-month period of time, I started getting a little more confidence. But up until that point, I stayed as far as like away from creative and certainly laying out matches that I could possibly get because I didn't want to involve myself in something that I knew I had very little to contribute in. It could muck things up. You have too many, too many chefs in the kitchen. You know what I mean. Somebody's got to like slice potatoes and shit. And, <laughs> and I didn't want to be one of those chiefs that was showing up. You know, somehow influencing the process. Now, that's you know, in one way, that's great if you've got really good people working underneath you and there's really good communication. I had really good people working with me, by the way. I don't want to in, imply that I didn't. But our communication was not the best, <laughs> admittedly. Um, <laughs> I, got, I, got one, I got one more question for you. This is, this is going to be the, the, the bad one. I hope I don't, I don't oh, take you Oh, the bad off. one? Oh, uh, bring it. With the blowback of Star K97 main event, do you feel like this was the beginning of the tide changing for the WWF because of the reaction of how Sting and Hogan ended up and giving away the main event the next day as well? Uh, now it's like, well, I'm going to see what's going on in the other show. Oh, cool. Mike Tyson's here. Do you think this was the beginning? Not 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 the end, but just the beginning of like, uh, let's kind of see what the other show's doing. No. I, I mean, it's I can understand how people may think that, you know, because it's easy in hindsight to really connect a bunch of dots that paint a picture or sketch a picture that you may want to believe. It's easy to do. Um, and I'm, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's what fans do, right? But 
if you really go back and look at history and look what was going on between the two companies in December of 97, 30 days before that, I believe, if memory serves me correctly, <laughs> Vince McMahon came out. Now, this is after NWO and Nitro have been kicking his ass, like waxing him like some kind of Brazilian hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. What a visual. <laughs> For about a year or a year and a half. He finally, in November of 1997, said, okay, that's it. We're coming out. We're going to embrace an entirely new creative strategy, mm -hmm. which was basically to rip off what we were doing within the NWL, to create a more reality-based, more in-your-face, more cutting-edge, more mature, less kiddie, less cartoonish, more real-life way of presenting the product. That's, what, that's how we'd been kicking his ass for over a year. So once that decision was made internally and Vince embraced it, he embraced it in a very big way. I'm not sure where the Super Bowl commercial the first time they bought a Super Bowl commercial played in there, if that was in 98 or not. I think it was. That was 99. Sure. Yeah. 99. Well, that was 99, so it was a year. No, but, mm. oh, okay, it was a year later. Yeah. But certainly he made the move with the change in presentation. I think Mike Tyson was a little bit more than, oh, I think Mike Tyson's over on the other guys. I think we'll see what that is. <laughs> I mean, that was a big damn mm. deal. When I heard about Mike Tyson for the first time, that was the first time, and that was, that was I heard about that long before it happened. I got a phone call from Zane Breslov. Oh. I was down in Kissimmee, Florida, taking flying lessons, actually. <laughs> and, and I got this urgent phone call from Zane, and he told me, you're never going to believe what they're doing now. They have Mike Tyson. And I went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to leave a mark. <laughs> and it did. So I think it was the seismic shift from pre-Nitro WWF to post-Nitro NWO WWF and wanting to see that what's what's that new thing going to look like had a lot more to do than the finish of this match. But it's a convenient thing to point to for people that have that kind of this is what really killed WCW because they feel really smart when, they, when they've got something like that. That's right. Well, and thank you for smartening us up here tonight. Unfortunately, you our time really, no, is over. You're the smartest people on the planet. We are. Just wait till next week. All wait of us, grow, all four of us. Wait till we grow you about Star K ninety eight. We are we are looking forward to Star K nineteen ninety eight, uh, Eric, and we hope we will uh, chat with you again next week. Me and my fuzzy face will be here. <laughs> hey, a little a little fuzzier, I presume. Yes, I'll have, I'll have one of those pointy ones. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. Have a great week, and we will uh, hear you again next week for more Q&A. All right. Thank you all thank very much. You. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. All right, and they are about to kick us out of this studio <laughs> because it is time for 90 Day Fiance After Show. So follow us all on social media. These guys have a show. Check them out on social media. And we will see you guys next week for more with Eric Bischoff, Starcade 1998. Bye-bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 